Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. We have a special guest today. The music that we just heard is quite lovely. And I'd like to introduce this fellow to you. This is Michael Fershert. Right. Michael grew up as a pastor's son behind the Berlin Wall of communist East Germany. As a student, Michael took part in the peaceful revolution of the East German churches that brought down the Berlin Wall. Throughout Nazi Germany, World War II, and communism, his family overcame great odds, refusing to let life's circumstances keep them down. They stayed faithful to Jesus Christ, manifesting his love in the midst of the crushing rule of totalitarian regimes. From the Nazi regime of Hitler's Germany, to the end of World War II and the expansion of communism. From the rise of the Berlin Wall to its celebrated fall, Michael's family held true to their faith and experienced God-sustaining power throughout turbulent times of European history. Michael has appeared on numerous local, national, and international radio and television programs. He's reached thousands of people with his own story and his music. With his unique background, through his music and his story, Michael brings us a much-needed message of freedom, faith, hope, and love. Please welcome Michael. Glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I can't see any of you. I look into darkness, but I trust that you are there, right? My name is Michael Furchert, in German, Michael Furchert. And this morning, I have the privilege to take you onto a journey back in time and to the other side of the world into a country where we did not have the freedoms and liberties that you enjoy here in America. And as I share this story, I want to challenge you not to take your freedoms for granted, not to allow freedom to let your faith grow superficial and light, but to use this priceless privilege of freedom that you do enjoy in this country to follow Jesus Christ with a deeper commitment, with more love and faithfulness. But I also want to encourage you to know that God's promise is true, and that in all things we can be more than conquerors, and that nothing, neither life or death, high things, low things, angels or demons, or anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a wonderful promise, is it not? But once in a while, our faith in that promise might be put to the test. In 1939, the Nazis came into the house of my grandfather. He was a public school teacher under Adolf Hitler, but he was also a professing Christian, and that posed a conflict. The Nazis urged him to take down the painting of Jesus Christ that he kept over a study desk at home, join the Nazi party, be one of them, conform to their beliefs, and declare his allegiance to Adolf Hitler, the Führer. My grandfather had to make a choice. He was the only teacher in his school who still refused to conform to the Nazis, and the pressure against him grew with every day. If he would join in, be one of them, he could hold on to his good position and the respect and the privileges and the income and the security it provided for him and his family, or he could take a stand for his faith and maybe lose everything. Grandpa knew if he would stand up to the Nazis, there would be consequences, but he also knew that there could only be one God in his life. 
And so he prayed to God for courage. And then he stood up to the Nazis and he declared, this painting remains. And he refused to take it down. He refused to join the Nazi party to be one of them conformed to their beliefs or declare his allegiance to Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer. There was only one leader in his life that deserved his allegiance. Now the Nazis were angered by his resistance. He was suspended from his teaching position and he was sent into World War II. An easy way to get rid of him and its inconvenient voice. And yet throughout the war, Grandpa experienced miraculous protection. Again and again, his life was spared. Once he was pulled in the last moment from execution while everybody else was shot. After six years of war and half a year of brutal Russian captivity, Grandpa returned home alive, starved, exhausted, sick, ill, but still alive. And still proclaiming with his last strength as he did before, I know that my Redeemer lives. When Nazi Germany was in ruins and ashes and rubber, my grandparents and their families still stood on the same firm foundation that they had built their lives on, their faith in Jesus Christ, their trust into a kingdom that could not be shattered nor destroyed. But now my grandparents watched Germany stumble from one dictatorship right into another. Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler were defeated, but now the communists rose to power in Eastern Germany. My grandfather was reestablished as a public school teacher now, and actually the communists, at first, they honored him, that he had the courage to refuse to join the Nazi party. And then they demanded that he take down this painting of Jesus Christ of a study desk, join the Communist Party, be one of them, conform to their beliefs, declare his allegiance to the communist ideology, teach their doctrines in school. Once again, Grandpa had to make a choice. You remember the last time he took a stand like this, it cost him dearly. But he also remembered God's love and faithfulness in good times and difficult times. How could he forget? Once again, he prayed to God for courage, and he stood up to the communists, and he said, this painting remains, and he refused to take it down. He refused to join the Communist Party or conform to their beliefs. Once again, there were consequences. Once again, he lost his position as a public school teacher, but he never lost his faith. He knew that at times there was a cost to consider and a price to pay to follow Jesus Christ. His Bible didn't speak about easy and comfortable Christianity. It spoke about denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following your Lord and Savior in good and in difficult times. But most of all, my grandparents knew what Christ had done for us in the first place when he gave his life on the cross so we could live. And they never wanted to turn away from God's love. The stories of my grandpa, my grandparents, but mostly the stories I heard about grandpa and his resistance and the stand he took, they inspired me when I was a kid growing up. My biggest dream as a kid growing up was that one day I would be able to visit my grandparents and to listen to grandpa's stories firsthand and to eat the cookings of my grandmother and to see this painting of Jesus Christ of our study desk, the painting that I'd heard so many stories about that he had never taken down. Not under the Nazis, not under the communists, no matter who demanded so. He always said, this painting remains. But I knew this would always remain a dream. Not that my grandparents had already passed away. No, they were still alive. 
Not that they lived so far away that I would never be able to visit them. No, they lived on the other side of the city. But the reality of my life when I was growing up was the Berlin Wall. What was the Berlin Wall? 12 feet tall, 100 miles long concrete barrier with barbed wire, electric fences, hidden landmines in the ground to make any escape into freedom impossible, armed soldiers on high security towers guarding it day and night. The Berlin Wall had been set up overnight. And overnight, it now separated our country of Germany into communist East Germany and free democratic West Germany and a wall in the middle. It separated our capital city of Berlin into communist East Berlin and free democratic West Berlin and the wall in the middle. And it separated many of our families, including our own family. My grandparents had been able to get out of East Germany before I was born, but the rest of our family was now stuck behind the Berlin Wall under communist dictatorship that deprived us of freedom and liberty. People often ask, what was it like growing up behind the Berlin Wall? Well, life was very simple, very humble. We really only had the basics. We were not starving like people in the third world, but we really just had the basics. We didn't have the abundance of everything that you have in America, really just very simple life. I remember, for example, that we would get a shipment of fruits like oranges or bananas maybe once or twice, at most three times a year. So we had an unwritten rule in the town where I lived outside of Berlin. Whenever a shipment of bananas comes in, you run around, you ring the doorbell of your friends, neighbors, and you tell them that they have bananas in the store so that they would not miss that shipment because it was so quickly sold out. Did you ever do this? Running around, ringing the doorbells of your friends, neighbors, and shouting, hey, they have bananas in the supermarket. You should try this one day. <laughs> See what they say, like, okay, get some sleep, dude. <laughs> but I remember when I was growing up and somebody would ring our doorbell and shout, they have bananas in the store. And I would stop everything I was doing, grab my money, run to the store as fast as I could to be there at time for the one banana for every family member distribution. So we were seven in our family. We got seven bananas once or twice or maybe three times a year. Now I tour the United States of America and I see huge grocery stores and supermarkets and malls and mega malls and Walmarts and super Walmarts. And I get lost. I get panicked. I don't find my way back out. Then if I finally do find my way back out, I realize, oops, I didn't buy anything because I was so overwhelmed by all the choices and the one thing I really needed, I couldn't find in the abundance of things. And then I remember how I stood there in our little grocery stores in East Germany. We had maybe a few types of cheese, a few types of bread, a few types of meat. If it wasn't sold out, over here in your huge supermarkets and malls and mega malls, I just look at the cheese section, one mile long with all kinds of cheese and all kinds of colors and sizes and brand names and wrappings and anything you can think of. I look at the meat section one mile long. I realize you guys in America, you even have half a mile of a dark food section. Seriously, with more choices than we had, you know, groceries in East Germany. And if it was so difficult for us to get a banana, imagine how difficult it was to get a car. Now, we could not just go to one of those many car dealership places that you have here in America and you know, purchase a car, drive home. No, we had to fill in application documents. We had to send them in to the government. We had to apply for a car, and then we had to wait for approval. 
and we had to wait for approval 15, not minutes, not hours, not days, not weeks, not months, but 15 years. The waiting list for a telephone was 10 years. The waiting list for a car was 15 years. And you might think, well, if you have to wait 15 years for a car, that must, be a, that must better be a really special, good-looking, fancy car with all kind of extras and comfort and luxury that took so long to manufacture it. Nah, really wasn't. It was just a metal box for the purpose of moving from one place to the other. It was really simple. It had like two doors, four wheels, one steering wheel. That was about it. Our East German Trabant was so simple, it did not even have a gas gauge. So we never really knew how much gas we had left, and many times we had to push our car back home. Again, now I tour the United States of America, and I come into a new city, and I, I see like one car dealership place right next to the other, right next to the other, right next to the other, right? Sometimes I get the impression they're selling more cars than they have people living in town. And not just simple cars. You're not just a metal box. You know what you have here in America? You know what I call that? Moving living rooms. Carpet, CD player, air conditioner, electric windows rolling up and down. On the other side. Then you have something to pull out to put in your Coke and your hamburger. Some have a radio and a television. You can live all your life in a car in America. You don't even have to leave it. You have everything right there. And then when you get hungry, what do you do? drive throughs right? Burger King drive through McDonald's drive through what not? You have a drive through for almost everything in America. When you need money, you go to the ATM drive through right? Maybe one day they will have a dentist drive through You just stick your head out of the window, you know, and then they come with a drill, and then you can go on. You know, life was very different growing up behind the building wall of former communist East Germany. But the biggest difference for me and that is why I'm here today. It's that I grew up under totalitarian communist rule that deprived us of freedom and liberty and that taught us a life without God. There was no room for God in communist beliefs with their state atheism. God did not exist, and he wasn't needed. Without God and without sun, we will get the harvest done. That was a slogan taught to the farmers in our community. We need no king, no emperor, no God to save us. To redeem us from our misery, we must arise ourselves. That was a song taught to students in school. We curse the God we used to pray to was part of a poem students had to recite in front of their teachers. But at the same time, I grew up in a Christian family. My father was a pastor, my mother a Sunday school teacher. They taught us kids that there is a God. They taught us that God had loved us so much that he had sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for us on the cross, to save us from sin, to grant us salvation and everlasting life. And I knew that just like my parents and grandparents before me, I would have to make choices too, just like my grandfather, my dad. My dad had not always been a pastor. As a matter of fact, he had been a financial economist working at an East German bank. But refusing to join the Communist Party and end his church membership, he was let go. Lost his job because of his faith, but never lost his faith. Instead, he became a pastor, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ behind the Berlin Wall of Communist Germany. 
So I grew up as a preacher's kid under communism. Great, right? That's, that's the best you can get in life, a preacher's kid under communism. So I knew I would have to make the same kind of choices, and I would have to make them at a very young age. Because the moment you come to school at six or seven years old, all your rights and privileges, your, your sense of belonging and acceptance, it, it all came through the membership of communist youth organizations. And if you didn't join in, you stood alone, mocked, bullied, ridiculed, laughed at. Started right there, first grade. The Young Pioneers was a communist youth organization that everybody had to join. The kids were told, you know, Young Pioneers, you, that's a really awesome organization, and you get friends and respect and recognition. You get this Young Pioneers uniform to wear, and you will have special events and activities and field trips. And kids got really excited about it. But the main purpose of this organization was, you know, political indoctrination. So the kids would learn from a very young age on to follow in total obedience their communist leaders and com the communist worldview, including the state atheism that a God does not exist. And I had to make a choice that I want to be a young pioneer, that I want to be able to gain, you know, have, have friends, respect, recognition like everybody else in my class, that I want to be able to wear this young pioneer's uniform that everybody else would wear on special occasions, that I want to be able to join the events and activities and field trips of my class, or that I want to go alone against the odds, even if I would maybe be the only one in my class believing in a God. I was seven years old when I stood up in school refusing to join the organization of Young Pioneers or any other communist youth organization because I knew that there was a God. And I started to put my trust and faith in him. But I also knew that I was about to start a life where Jesus Christ would maybe be the only friend I had. Imagine flag-raising ceremony in the morning. All the classes have, have to line up in front of the school in almost military order and then salute the communist flag and sing their communist songs and listen to the principal, you know, give long speeches about how great we are and blah, 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 blah. And everybody can see that I'm the only student in my class not wearing the uniform of the Young Pioneers. There were two more students that didn't wear that uniform, two girls. They happened to be my sisters. We were among 2% of East German students nationwide who had refused to join the communist youth organizations. 98% of East German students had joined in and marched along. So in our school, we were the only three students. And now there was no place for us to hide. In a crowd of many other believers, like you can do at a Christian school, for example, and stay anonymous. No, once we had made that choice, everybody could see. We were the Christian kids. We didn't go along. Now we had to live up to it. And we had to make choices almost on a daily basis. When in music class, we had to sing that song that no king, no emperor, no God can save us. We must arise ourselves. I wouldn't do it. When in German class, we had to recite that poem, you know, that we curse the God we used to pray to. I wouldn't do it. When in German class, we had to learn to throw fake grenades to fight for communism. I wouldn't do it. If 
Finally, my teacher had compassion on me. Oh, this poor preacher's kid. He can't ever join in because his parents tell him he can't or because his parents tell him that there is some God and he doesn't want him to do that. So the teacher really felt actually bad for me and said, you know what, Michael? Go with the girls. Throw a softball instead. We're great. All the guys, you throw grenades, and the girls, and Michael, you throw a softball. Now my classmates gave me the name Michelle instead of Michael. I was a girl, but more than that, I was also a sissy and a wimp who didn't dare to do the real thing. And yet, I was wondering if I was the wimp, if I was the only one standing up for what I believed, and I was wondering if they were as strong and as tough as they thought they were by giving in, by conforming, by going with the crowd, by buckling under peer pressure by being told what to think and what to believe, not having an own opinion about anything. I have to make choices on almost a daily basis, and time this morning is too short to go into all of them, but I can mention a few. Maybe fast forward a little when I became your age, a teenager, in high school student. In East Germany, there was a very special celebration for teenagers. It was called the Youth Consecration. That was the biggest celebration ever in the life of a teenager in East Germany, the next big thing would have been their wedding. The youth consecration was a public celebration, a public ceremony, and it marked the passing into adulthood. You now became a young adult with the rights, the respect, and the recognition of being an adult person, a member of a society. It was a big deal in East Germany. Everybody was looking forward to this event. Everybody wanted to finally become an adult person. But as part of the ceremony, every student had to pledge allegiance to communism and give an oath and a promise that they would dedicate the future of their lives as adult people to support and promote the communist ideology, which of course included the atheist worldview that a God does not exist. I had to make a choice. I wanted to become an adult person too. I didn't want to be the only one remaining a child in the eyes of my classmates. How much more fun would they make of me? How much more mocking and ridicule to go through after all the disadvantages and sacrifices already if I now would also be the only child in their eyes? On the other hand, I did not want to compromise my faith in Jesus Christ either. How adult would I really be if I didn't have the courage to stand up for what I believe? And wasn't it more important to be considered an adult in God's kingdom than in the eyes of my classmates? Wasn't it more important to gain God's approval than the approval of my peers and the world around me? When the day of youth consecration came, everybody in my class went. I stayed at home watching from behind the window. Our house was right next to the town square, so from behind the window I could see how my classmates and their families and relatives, they arrived with their cars on the town square and then they got out of their cars and the girls, they were wearing their most beautiful dresses and flowers in their hands. The boys were wearing their most elegant suits and tie and with their family and relatives, they were going to the town hall to have this public celebration and ceremony to become adult people. For them, this was a happy day. And I sit at home, you know, kind of watching from behind the window, maybe Maybe a little tear just running down my cheek because part of me wanted to join in and to be with them, to be with my classmates, to not miss out on this. 
The other part of me realized that I couldn't follow God in the world at the same time. I couldn't walk the fence. I had to make a choice. When I came back to school the next morning, I was in for even more mocking and ridicule, of course. They all were adult people now. But the stupid Christian would remain a silly child for the rest of his life for his crazy belief in some imaginary God that everybody knows does not exist anyway. Well, I could not become an adult person in the eyes of my classmates. But nobody could stop me from becoming 16. And I happened to be the oldest one in class. That meant I would be the first one turning 16. And that meant I would be the first one getting what? Getting the driver's license. Wow, that was my chance to finally gain a little respect and recognition. They couldn't consider me a child anymore if I would be the first one with a driver's license. Maybe they would start to respect me now. Maybe they would even come to me and ask me if I could take them for a ride. I was so excited, I was so thrilled, I could hardly wait for the day of turning 16 and being the first one with a driver's license. And little did I know that once again, I had to make a choice between the privilege of getting the driver's license and staying true to my faith in God. They didn't do this to everyone, <clears throat> but they did it to me. Three times, my school promised me I would not have to join any communist organization to get the driver's license. Three times I believed them. Three times I went through driver's school, long process in Germany, did all the classes, passed all the tests and exams, paid all the money and the fees. At the end of each driver's school course, there was a driver's license on the table and a document of membership for a communist organization right next to it, just one signature, and I would have that driver's license. And again, I had to make a choice. They wanted me to finally give in and buckle under pressure and go along. I wanted to get this driver's license so badly. That was my chance not to gain a little respect as well. Most of all, it was my opportunity just to get the driver's license, right? And yet it required a compromise, declaring my allegiance to a system that taught us that there is no God and that we need no God, just for my own advantages, for my own privileges. But God was not a God of compromise. My classmates, they ridiculed me. Come on, you know, just sign that stupid document. Your God is not going to come down from heaven and punish you. He doesn't even exist. Sign the stupid document. Nobody will know. Really? But God would. And he wasn't a God of compromise. When Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for our salvation, he gave it there fully, totally, and completely, and not just a little. And when we are asked to return our love and faithfulness to him, we are asked to do so fully, totally, and completely, and not just a little. I just couldn't sign that document. I couldn't join the organization and declare my allegiance to our totalitarian communist regime, and I didn't. I never joined that organization. As a consequence, I never got the driver's license. So I wasn't the first one with a driver's license. I was the last one in my class riding my rattling bike to school, listening to the laughter and ridicule of my classmates who passed me with their mopeds and later their motorcycles and later with their cars, calling me a fool for the decision I had made. But you know what? Deep inside my heart, 
I believe that already back then I knew that I had more than they had. That my life was not built on a foundation of sand that would come crumbling down one day. And I knew that my self-respect, my self-worth, my self-esteem did not depend on the acceptance of my classmates or the world around me. It depended on knowing who I was in the eyes of God, that I was created unique, that he loved me, that he had a plan and purpose for my life. Towards the end of school time, I would have to choose between staying true to my faith and being able to attend my own graduation ceremony, being able to attend my senior trip, being able to go to college, and refusing to join the organizations or to declare my allegiance. I couldn't attend my graduation ceremony. I couldn't go on our senior trip. I couldn't go to college. As a matter of fact, when my class at the end of school time, when they went on their one-week senior trip, going around sightseeing, enjoying a great time, I was put on a construction site to carry bricks and clean up the trash for this one week instead because I had refused to declare my allegiance to their grand system. And in moments like this, all I wanted to do was what I'd seen my parents and grandparents do before me. I just wanted to look up to Christ and remember what he had gone through for me, how he was mocked and ridiculed for me, how he was beaten and spit at for me, how they pierced thorns into his head and nailed him to the cross to die for me and my salvation. He had remained strong. He had remained faithful. He didn't give in. He didn't go halfway. He didn't compromise. He wasn't lukewarm or wishy-washy. He gave his very life so I could live. But I also knew that Jesus Christ had risen, that he was alive, and that he himself would give us the strength to follow him in good times and in difficult times, even if we had to go against the odds. But the one thing I did not know was that I would actually see the day come true that the Berlin Wall would come down, that we would gain freedom and liberty. And I remember how it started, and I remember where it started. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, do you have any idea the peaceful revolution that would bring down the Berlin Wall and the Cold War and change history? Do you know where that started? It started in the East German churches. As people came together for prayer, for worship services, for candlelight vigils, for prayer marches, praying to God to bring us freedom. And out of the churches, the people marched into the streets with burning candles. Some were praying in the streets. Some were singing hymns, approaching the soldiers that were lined up in the streets, armed and waiting for orders to shoot. We did not have the freedom to demonstrate. We did not have the freedom to protest. This was dictatorship. My aunt had been arrested for lighting a candle in front of her apartment building as a sign of peace. My art teacher had been jailed for laying down a wreath of flowers at the Berlin Wall commemorating the victims that had been shot and killed trying to escape across the Berlin Wall into freedom. And any unauthorized gathering in public was immediately brought down by the Stasi secret police. And now hundreds, then thousands, then tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands of people now came out of the churches and out of the streets and formed spontaneous citywide prayer marches. The air was so tight you could cut right through it. 
My brother-in-law had just been drafted into the military, and he called us on the phone, and his voice was trembling, and he told us the military has been put on high alert, and they are sending the tanks out to Berlin to bring down our peaceful protests and prayer marches. And my brother-in-law was terrified because he knew as a soldier he would be sent out as well. But it was his people, his family, his relatives, his aunts and uncles and cousins, his friends out there in the streets demonstrating and praying for freedom. And we all knew what had happened in communist China just a few months before. Student demonstrations on Tiananmen Square, and the military came out with their tanks. Several thousand students were killed, many more were wounded. And our East German government, instead of condemning what had happened in China, our East German government publicly praised the massacre on Tiananmen Square and was preparing for a similar military solution. And there he stood with burning candles, faith and prayer versus a military dictatorship armed with guns, tanks and cruise missiles. We didn't have a prayer, but maybe that is all we had. We had a prayer. Many people just kneeling on the streets praying Again and again, people would just rise up, and they would take flowers and put them into the muzzle of a soldier's gun. Some soldier would stand there with a stoic look on his face and not move, and some soldier would just start crying, because maybe deep inside his heart, he had been longing for freedom and liberty himself. It remains a historic miracle. Not one shot was fired. The order to open fire was never given. Instead, our communist regime crumbled under the pressure of our peaceful revolution. The Berlin Wall came down. We gained freedom and liberty. I was 17 years old. My sisters, 18 and 15, my brothers, 14 and 8 years old, when together with our parents, we stepped over the rubble of the Berlin Wall into freedom for good. And we looked back and we asked ourselves, what was finally stronger in the end? Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler who wanted to rule the world. They were left in ruins and ashes and rubble. Communism in East Germany that wanted to rule and overtake the world had crumbled, was gone. The Berlin Wall that kept us imprisoned had come down, was now sold in little pieces in souvenir stores. But one thing had remained. That was our faith in Jesus Christ. It had outlasted totalitarian regimes and man-made empires that had come and gone. Our faith had taught us why it is so important to put our life or to build our life on a firm foundation, not on sand, on a foundation that will last. And why it is so important to put our trust into a kingdom that cannot be shattered nor destroyed. One of our communist leaders, a high-ranking leader, later said about the peaceful revolution and their defeat, staunch atheist, he said, we, our government and military, were prepared for everything, but not for burning candles and not for faith and prayer. You know, as a Christian, I might be biased. I might want to see God's hand in it, but maybe you are here today struggling or doubting, or wondering if all of this is true. Don't take my words for it. 
Listen to the words of a staunch, lifelong atheist. At the end of it all saying, our government and our military was prepared for everything, but not for burning candles and not for faith and prayer. Against that, they had no weapons. To this very day, communist China blames Christianity for the fall of communism in Eastern Europe because their leaders have understood that the power of faith and prayer, the gospel of Jesus Christ can change hearts, transform lives, transform societies, even change history. Ladies and gentlemen, how much more could we do in this country of freedom and liberty if we, uh, if we remember and realize anew that the power of faith and prayer, the gospel of Jesus Christ, can impact hearts, change lives, transform societies, and even change history? We do not have to be afraid. We do not have to give in to the loud and angry voices of our time. We can trust in God. He will lead us through. The day the Berlin Wall came down was also the day that our family was reunited. And now my dream became true. I could visit my grandparents on the other side of Berlin. I could listen to grandpa's stories firsthand. I could eat my grandma's cookings. I could see the painting of Jesus Christ by the study desk of my grandfather, the painting that heard so many stories about that he had never taken down, not under the Nazis, not under the communists, no matter who did. But grandpa had grown old by now, and he gathered his family around him, and he said, I'm so grateful to God that I could live long enough to see the Berlin Wall come down, to see you gain freedom in East Germany, and for us to be one family again. But I'm an old man by now. I don't know how much longer the Lord has given me to live, so I would like you to tell me already now the things you would like to inherit. Most of it you can take with you right away. I don't need many things for life anymore. As I walked through this apartment, there was one thing that most of all captured my interest and my attention. And I said to him, Grandpa, I really would like to have that painting of Christ over your study desk. And Grandpa looked at me with a gentle smile. He said, Michael, this painting has been with me throughout life. I've never taken it down. Not under the Nazis, not under the communists. I always wanted to follow God first. And it wasn't always easy. At times there was a cost to consider and a price to pay. At times there was discrimination and persecution. But God has always been faithful. I know that my Redeemer lives, he said. God has always been faithful. I've never taken down this painting in all my life, he said. And I don't want to take it down now for you either. I want this painting to remain by my study desk until the last day of my life. But once the Lord has called me home, it shall be passed on to you as my legacy, a family legacy of faith. A few years later, Grandpa died. And even though we were sad and mourning and we missed him dearly, we were also rejoicing knowing that he was home to see the one that he had believed in all life long. Grandpa always proclaimed, I know that my Redeemer lives. Not, I think so, not even I believe. I know that I know that I know that my Redeemer lives. And that knowledge gave him the strength to follow Jesus Christ faithfully, alive, long, in good times and in difficult times. And to set an example for his children and grandchildren and to leave behind a family legacy to carry on. And this painting of Jesus Christ, it now hangs above my study desk. And I've promised to God I shall never take it down. And I pray that if difficult times should come again, or one day even reach the shores of this great nation, that I can know, that we can know, that you can know. It is not by our own strength that we have to stand. 
God will give us the strength to follow him in good and in difficult times. My grandfather didn't stand for his faith under the Nazis and under the communists because he was such a strong man. No, only because he could hold on to the hands of a strong and power, powerful God. And my father didn't stand up for his faith under the communists because he was such a strong man. No, only because he could hold on to the hands of a powerful and strong God. And I myself, as a child and a teenager, I didn't make the choices I made and didn't accept the sacrifices I did because I was such a tough kid. No, I wasn't. In the midst of my insecurities and anxieties and sometimes my hurting and broken feelings, all I knew that was that I too could hold on to the hands of a strong and powerful God and let my Savior carry me. The painting of Jesus Christ that now hangs above my study desk. It shows the Great Commission. Jesus sending his disciples into all the world to preach the good news. That there is a God who loves us. That he has sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to die for us on the cross. To forgive our sins. To grant us salvation and everlasting life and a freedom that is so much greater than any freedom this world can offer. This is a challenge I want to leave you with this morning, that you do not take your freedoms for granted, that you don't allow freedom to let your faith grow superficial and light, but that you use this freedom to follow Jesus Christ with a deeper commitment, with more love and faithfulness, but that you can also know in the good times and the difficult times, in your moments of doubt and struggle and broken hearts and anxiety and depression and whatever it is you have to grapple and battle with in life, that he is there. He loves you. He will carry you. He will bring you through. He will allow you to see walls come down in your life. He will allow you to overcome and be victorious. He will allow you to indeed be more than conquerors because his promise is true. And we can be more than conquerors and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a wonderful promise, is it not? Thank you guys so much for your attention this morning, for your respect. I just want to encourage you this morning to, to follow him, to trust him, to believe in him. You know, behind the Berlin Wall, I was told I could never get my driver's license. Today I have three. German one, an American one, and a commercial driver's license. Behind the Berlin Wall, I was told if I don't join the organizations, I will never amount to anything in life. Today, I am a public speaker, a pianist, ceramic artist, traveling around the country. Behind the Berlin Wall, I was told I would never be able to travel. Today, I am an international tour director taking high school students on educational faith tours to Europe to show them where this history took place. You know, whatever the devil might throw at you, God will throw it right back at him. If you follow Jesus Christ, you're not going to lose out. He will bless your life in more ways than you can ever know. Thank you so much. I'm going to just tinkle around a little bit on the piano as you leave and turn it back over to you. May God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you very much. <laughs>